My name is Charu Paul, as I've just introduced. I teach media and communication at Karlstad University in Sweden. Um, and I'm a little nervous because I think we've had such wonderful papers. And I've come, I've come from a very, I'm coming from a very different perspective, and I'll explain that. Uh, but I'm a storyteller, so I'm going to start with a story. Uh, earlier this year, at the time when I was sending abstract for this conference, I was at a workshop, one-day workshop, South Asian researchers at Lund University. Um, and uh, uh, South Asian researchers, meaning they were not just doing South Asian studies, but any anybody, say if they're studying um, uh, some sort of ancient science and they're combining that with management studies or whatnot, all sorts of uh, scholars. And first of all, let me notice is in, uh, in that uh, 50 people who had gathered there, there were only five people from South Asia. And that there, was, there were no Africans, there were no Latin Americans, there was Americans and Europeans studying us. That was one thing. Second thing was that the keynote speaker um, said, <laughs> said, um, well, South Asians are really not important because they haven't really contributed to any social theory. Everything's come from the West. And nobody questioned it, except for one girl in the audience. She was, she was uh, doing a PhD in Delhi. She stood up and she said something, and then I got the courage to say something. But nobody questioned it. And that reminded me of an incident when I was studying in Delhi, um, uh, Psychology 101. And they told us that if you're a, a teenager, you're an adolescent, you're supposed to go to identity crisis. But I didn't have any. And I thought there was something wrong with me. It was an American scholar's uh, textbook. And then only later on, as I left India and I, I started traveling, I started to realize that our identities came from our families, our language, so many other things. But it was another thing that has not been theorized. Of course, there's family and all that that they study. But just the word sanskara. It's not been theorized. It's an important part of our identity. Somebody needs to talk about that. That has led me through. But it wasn't there. And for years, I thought there was something wrong with me because all the teenagers are supposed to go through an identity crisis, and I didn't have any. So for that reason, I think this conference is very important. And I'm grateful to be a part of it. So thank you to all the organizers. Um, I'm going to start with this story. So there's this little guy. We don't have a problem. He dresses up like Rama. We just go and bow to him. He becomes Rama for us. But the other thing is, we also have other kinds of gods. And I think Brenda and I talked about Bollywood and cricket kill Indian culture, what we were saying yesterday. But, you know, you would see equal kind of rush. And in Vamsi Januri's words, we are spiritual anarchists. Okay? That's our context. So if we study something in context, it would be a completely different idea. Like Mother, you mentioned today, with this diversity that no, not has, has not been talked about. So when I was reading Pollock's work, um, uh, two things happened. One, and I know we're not supposed to have any attacks, but I literally felt like I was stepping into a cesspool. It was so different. And I said, what is this? What? Why am I? I would read and I would recoil. It was a physical reaction. Because he had decircularized everything. And I grew up with the Ramayana, Ramlila in our backyard, which is what I will talk about. Uh, I've never read the Ramayana. I started reading it after I, I signed up for this conference, and I will probably finish it at some point. But I know a lot about Ramayana, not from television, but because we have 800 Ramayana Mandalis in Delhi. Okay? And they've been run for, for decades, for some, some close to a century as well. Okay? And so this is what I wanted to look at. And unlike other papers, I'm not quoting Pollock. I'm actually looking at his methodology. Because when I was reading it, uh, the second thing that happened was I thought, you know, I can never grasp his old work. It's, it's, it's a vast body of work. 
So what I will do is I will look at it as an academic, as a scholar. How would I critique it if this was a research paper for my student? And the first thing I would look at it, because you know, I have to grade so much. Um, all right, so I've come up with a strategy. That is methodology and sampling and conclusions. Are they, a, are they like, you know, lining up? What is the methodology? What is the sampling and how is it actually going about the way? So that's what I'm critiquing. First of all, uh, I don't need to tell you, but this is very important because in one of the students' papers, uh, Lawrence Lecrea says, uh, Pollock is very important. He'll play a dominant role in shaping the wider public image of pre-modern Indian, especially Sanskrit language culture, along with the forms of polity related to them for years, if not decades to come. This is an important conference to start. The other one uh, says that actually what he's telling us, Pollock is telling us, it's very important for, and it should transform contemporary understandings for the relationship between culture and power, the status of literature, and the, and the state, ethnicity, and polity throughout history. This guy we, we've actually seen in this conference, so many flaws, but he's actually uh, you know, writing our history and telling us what we are thinking. So. Even as an academic, it was a hard thing to read, but as an academic, I'll tell you, we're told that if we don't write like the way he does, nobody will respect us. It's a fact, we're told that actually, um, which I've always had a problem with. Um, it was so different from my lived reality. I couldn't agree with it. Uh, there's a flaw in theory and methodology and purpose of sampling, for all those who are researchers. You would do if you're on health communication, you say, I want to study people who have uh, health issues, and then you actually go, you ask people, do you have that health issue? And then you ask them and you interview those people specifically. You call it purposive sampling. His is not even that. There is no method to his sampling. And, and that's, that's problematic. His thesis, uh, and I'll go some of this, I'll go over it a little fast because I have about five minutes, six minute video to show you guys later on. Um, and Ramana, he's using it as a political tool I guess all non-Hindus, but he's specifically talking about Muslims because his 1992 paper when he talked about uh, after Ayodhya, uh, he's saying that, you know, I just have to say something. I've been thinking about this for so long that I have to say something. And then he writes this paper that becomes the basis of people thinking that Ramayana is actually a tool. And then he also talks about uh, one issue of India Today had L.K. Advani with a bow and arrow and that L.K. Advani was shown as Ram and then everybody else, you know, uh, related to the Babi Masjid is actually uh, Ravana. My paper, if you read it, starts with the fact that we say, said, till this day, we call them Ram Uncle and Ravan Uncle. I seriously forget their names because those were the roles they played for decades. Even today, that's what we call them. Okay, and they were our celebrities. Um, so, sorry, this is important. Ramayana is a metaphor. Forget, we don't want to, we will talk about itahasa, whether it's history, whatnot. It's a metaphor for a reality that we need to look at. But Pollock is looking at it as a mystery. All right, this happened. Let me find out how I can put this in this mystery and I solve this mystery. That's problematic. Um, so, my understanding of uh, Hinduism and all these terms is very limited, so please critique me on it later on. But at some point, I started getting interested in in mythology, and I've read a lot of Joseph Campbell, uh, uh, comparative mythologist. So my understanding comes from a lot of what he also said, which for the most part was positive towards India. Uh, although after my GGG's work, I critique it and I find a lot of issues there as well. Um, so myths are actually clues which direct us to experiencing spiritual potentialities of life. 
I cannot tell you how many times when we were watching that Ramlila and I would hear a grandmother say, look, you should be like Lakshman to your older brother. Myths and narratives with multiple meanings and that's what we have, uh, this understanding that actually they can be told and retold. And every time they can be new. Uh, and they hold the sacred value for the respected cultures. This is very, very important, which Pollock is actually ignoring. He doesn't want to see how we see our Ram and Ramayana. He wants to tell us how they are supposed, <coughs> we're supposed to see them. So one of the things is ancient uh, uh, ritual of sun worship. I mean, if you think about it, it hasn't changed, right? Sun is still a life giver. We knew it thousands of years ago. We probably hadn't put it in a theory. It's a ritual. But it was, it was, it, 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 it actually directed towards a, a, a larger reality that is still true today. Um, similarly, Rama and Rama are so, not so much as opposites in the sense of good and evil, as they are qualities that bring us close to the divine or distance us from the divine. But just like Madhuji just said, that everybody, even Ramana, they're all in the making, in the process of make, making divine. When we were growing up, we were never told Ravana was evil. His, he was a Vidwan. His flaw was his ego. He was a Brahmin, he was a learner, his flaw was his ego. Uh, which is what we're supposed to question. Okay, Ibihasa. Um, this I learned from Rajiji's work. I, because we had used Itihasa and history interchangeably. That Itihasa actually takes the author into account. That it takes that there is there is an author who's writing, and so it might be slightly different if the other author is writing that. That's important. Which uh, uh, Paul doesn't actually care to, uh, to underline that aspect because he's looking at it as history rather than Etihasa. Uh, so, what is a, this is a quote from Ajiti. The Dharma practitioner who studies Etihasa explicitly aspires to, bring, aspires to bring about a change within, emphasizing the virtual, virtues illustrated in the narrative and not the historical facts. Lord Rama and Lord Krishna are embodiments of bhavas and their historical significance is superseded by the values they convey. And interestingly, when I was sitting on the plane coming here, I talked to a guy who was sitting next, next to me, talked about this conference. He said exactly the same thing, and he's a lawyer, and he's never read Ajit's works. Which means it's, it's, it's an understanding. So my critique of Pollock is basically that he has not looked at the ground reality. He has actually, first thing, which is academic blasphemy, is that he decentralizes something because the way they're prescribed to study is that you actually, it's, it's sac the sacred is, is the environment you study them in. Shraddha is not blind faith. It is actually an attitude of, of learning, an attitude of curiosity. What can I learn? How can I be informed? How can this transform me? That is actually, uh, even later on we talk about, it's also given in Vedanta Shastra. What, is the quality, what are the qualities of a pupil? And any qualitative text has to be, has to be studied within the context. If I were to critique it on methodology, I would actually put a big cross because he's, he's taken everything, how the people he is studying are telling him. He's ignored that completely and he's come up with his own theory and he's taking these episodic uh, uh, you know, incidences from here and there and he's putting together a theory which doesn't make sense. Um, so he uses Vico's theories uh, and interestingly I found authors who were actually critiquing Vico's theories. And Vico basically says there are two different kinds of thinking. One is where you have this pagan thinking, mythic thinking, which he calls poetic thinking, which is all pre-rational. And he's, he's basically saying all the you know, non-European people are thinking like that. We are included. 
And then there was this post-irrational thinking where, you know, it was logic and all of that. And, and of course, the post, this latter one is superior. But the people who critique Beagle's theories are saying social science cannot and should not be treated like natural science. It is not you take two atoms of hydrogen and one of oxygen, put it together under certain conditions, it will always reveal water. Like I talked about sanskara, that's a theory that is very Indian context of India. Living in Sweden, I can't tell you how many people who tell me they believe in karma, they just don't think reincarnation happens. They can pick and choose, you know. It doesn't work that way. They, you cannot separate, you cannot take a theory and put it apart unless you're explaining why and then you actually provide a context again. It's important. That's the scientific, social scientific way also of doing things, and which Pollock is missing. Um, and he also lacked uh, one of the requirements of an adhikari, which is prescribed by Vedanta Shastra. Um, and that is, uh, you should have a concept of curiosity and not criticism towards the, uh, towards the text, if you want to learn. So I've already talked about this. I've gone a little fast only because I wanted to make sure there was enough time for the, for the video. Uh, researchers argue against uh, that social sciences like natural sciences develop laws that hold irrespective of time and place to explain phenomena through causal, or causal and functional models to describe relationships. You have to question that. Um, so there are four criteria where Pollock fails if you're contextualizing texts. So the first is naturalistic observation. And, and in the video you will see, if he had actually gone out and just, just seen how Ramilas are done, he'd interviewed people. That's important. If he's not doing that at a certain level, he can say, okay, this is my understanding, but actually I will corroborate. That's the evidence. You go back and check with the people who you're talking about. Because until then, it's, it's, it's half, it's not complete. I've had that problem with a lot of dissertations that we do. We write on theory and then we leave it at that. My problem is always that a lot of them never go and get checked, but they actually get cited over and over again. It's a big problem in academia. Um, that's one thing. So he's not actually looking at the ground reality. He's definitely not contextualizing. He's taking the first step out, first thing out, which is sacredness. He's saying that doesn't exist. And then he can actually interpret them the way he wants to. Now this is important. Comparative studies are always richer. If you really want to study, you, you're telling us that Ramayana is this political tool, study where in other countries also it's gone, like Thailand, Nepal, Fiji, you know, Indonesia, go check that. But if you think, or you're gonna say, well, they're Buddhist dominated countries, and so you don't have that problem, if you will say that, then look at the diversity of India. Rama is not as popular everywhere, all over India. Go and check what, how, it's, how Ramayana is perceived in other places, and then tell us something. Compare different states in India, Compare the way where maybe Durga worship is more popular or where Ganesh Puja is more popular. Compare that, because then we will know that there's some sort of evidence that okay, this is because of Ramayana, if that's, if that's universal. Because, because even, even with our uh, ideas of worship, it's, as you've seen, you know, in India it's different uh, deities uh, that have more popularity in the different areas in the country. And the last part, it sensitizes con concepts. He misses on that as well. If you are studying a culture, you have to come up with categories that make sense to them, which means you have actually checked back and forth, that they can actually see themselves fitting in it. But we've seen from this conference, 
good portion of what he talks about, we don't relate to. It's not ours. We think it's completely alien to us. And that's, that's problematic. You cannot come up with a completely different theory that is from the outside and not consider the context. That's methodologically problem, uh, problematic. Pollock is definitely right about the popularity of Ramayana and its importance uh, and its uh, significance to Hindu mind and culture. But he's actually incomplete in understanding, maybe because he's more concerned with actually promoting his own theory. He doesn't understand it completely and he misses these, these very important points when you're studying another culture. If he had come to our Ramayana, you know, what you would see is that it brings community together. And guess what? Oftentimes, Muslims are a part of it. They're not outside of it, okay? Uh, and and it's, a, it's a yearly event, and we look forward to it because it was during that time that we actually really felt like a community, running into each other's houses, doing things, running errands and whatnot. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, this was, you know, Shah Khan actually got his, uh, you know, first break in Abraham Ramayana. Very important. If we had anything against Muslims, they should have known by then. He actually talks about it, if you can see his interviews. Okay. He also played Krishna, by the way, on Janmashtami in other temples. Um, and one of the important things that is not there in Valmiki Ramayana that I've seen in our Ramayana, and I thought it was universal uh, until I started studying more about it, that when Ravan is dying, there's a whole 10-minute scene where Ram, Rama tells Lakshman, you have to go at his feet and stand and get the wisdom. At that shiksha session, the entire audience is pink drop silence. We're, listen, we're listening to Ravana. We're learning from him, even in death. On May 25th, 2016, I googled what did Ravana say while dying. I got 3,000, 35,000 responses. And then what did Lakshmana learn from uh, uh, Ravana? I think I got 85,000. So if Pollock wanted to, it's very simple. He could just have tested that. It's out there. It's a part of our psyche that we actually, we want to look for it. And so people just keep going back and writing some things like that. What can we learn from Ravana? He's not, not just a rakshas or a demon for us. He's somebody who's very learned, Dashanan, with 10 heads, knowledge of 10 heads. His flaw, although, is his ego. Stop there. And we can start the video. But I want to say a few things about the video. First thing is, I apologize. Most of it is in Hindi. I didn't have the time to subtitle it in English. Um, second thing. Can you stop that for a second? Okay, thank you. Um, it was taken six years ago. I edited it last night, four in the morning, so there must be some mistakes. But it was important because I found an interview that actually I took six years ago that will tell you that we did not demonize Ram. Um, and, uh, and also, the Vibhishan, uh, who I've interviewed in here, the one who plays Vibhishan, uh, he's emailed me a few times. This guy has probably never read Ramayana. Uh, he cannot write English. He always tells me to write in, in Hindi, and I have a hard time doing Google Translate and whatnot. Uh, but he knew the message so well. You can see that here. 